Okay, so it's good to be here. Thank you for having me back. Keith is a preacher. I greatly enjoy this. So I grew up loving Disney movies, animated Disney movies. In fact, we collected them. Somewhere in my mom's house, we have just a whole pile of animated Disney movies, whether it's Sword in the Stone or Aladdin. One of my favorites is The Jungle Book. And I'm talking about the 80s animated Jungle Book. Well, in the Jungle Book, you have this orphan boy named Mowgli. And Mowgli is adopted by a wolf clan. So these wolves raise Mowgli up to be like a wolf. Well, the problem comes when Shere Khan, the man-eating tiger, comes back to their part of the jungle. And the wolves realize that they have to get Mowgli back to the man village for his own safety. So Bagheera, the friendly black panther, offers to escort Mowgli back to the man village. But Mowgli doesn't want to go back to the man village. So on his journey to the man village, in protest, Mowgli first tries to imitate elephants. He tries to join the elephant brigade. And all is well until the colonel elephant realizes that Mowgli doesn't have a trunk. So he doesn't qualify to be an elephant. So next he decides, well, I don't want to go to the man village. I still want to be an animal, even though that's not my true identity, even though that's not who I really am. I'm going to try to be like Baloo the bear. So Mowgli imitates Baloo, and he tries to live this carefree life. And all is well until uh, King Louis and the orangutans kidnap him and expect him to be able to teach him Uh, teach them how to make fire. So Mowgli's attempts to imitate animals is a colossal failure. And for Mowgli, this is is a problem until Bagheera finally gets Mowgli to the man village. And when Mowgli gets to the man village, he realizes that his attempts to imitate animals were futile and that he should, in fact, act out of his identity as a man. And what happens is Mowgli, for the very first time, sees a girl about his age, and he realizes, you know what? My identity is as a man, and by living out my identity in the man village, with this pretty girl, no doubt, I will experience the greatest amount of joy. I will experience the greatest amount of joy. Up until that point, he had tried to live out a false identity by imitating animals, but he is a man. We, too, as Christians, we have a true identity. Our identity is beloved children of God. And if we, like Mowgli, realize that that's our identity, and we act that out by imitating God, our Heavenly Father, then we, too, will maximize our joy in God's glory. We will maximize our joy in God's glory. The problem is, is oftentimes, like Mowgli, we are distracted by false uh, images, uh, in false uh, identities that we try to imitate, and it gets us off track, and we lose out on joy, and we lose those opportunities to glorify God in our life. So in today's sermon, we're going to talk about how we, as beloved children of God, imitate our Heavenly Father. How we, as beloved children of God, imitate 
our Heavenly Father. And we're going to do this by looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. So go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And as you turn there, I want to give you a quick preview of this sermon. We are going to see that we imitate God as His beloved children by walking in love, walking in light, and by walking in wisdom. So in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see that we imitate our Heavenly Father as His beloved children by walking in love, light, and wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. So I'm going to begin reading, and you can follow along, and we're just going to work through this bit by bit, beginning in verse 1. Our first point, we imitate God by walking in love. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, stop right there with me. This very first sentence lays out the foundation for our sermon. It says here that we are to follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now, most versions say, imitate God, be imitators of God. And that's a more literal translation. I think that actually works better. It's more clear-cut. And it says that we're to do this because we're dearly loved children. That's who we are. If you are a Christian, uh, that means God has adopted you because you trusted in His Son as your Savior. And we see that Paul is going to tell us that the way to love is to live your life like Christ. And what that means is you live your life giving to others that has a cost from you. True love costs something from yourself. Christ loved us by dying for us. That was the cost he paid to redeem us. God the Father showed His love to us and that He sent His Son to die for us. That is how God loved us. So here in uh, verse 2, we see that the way we walk in love is through the example that Christ gave us, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. So again, true love has a cost. It requires us giving something up of ourselves for the benefit of others. Uh, So a great example of this is I'm a stay-at-home dad. That means that I get to change a lot of dirty diapers. It's, It's not the most glamorous job, but I love my daughter. I love her. And so I'm willing to do that for her because I know that that's in her best interest. That benefits her. And yes, there is a small cost that I pay. And if you've ever changed a diaper, you know that there is a cost in changing a dirty diaper. But I do it with joy because I love her. So that's the kind of love that God's looking for. And Paul demonstrates that in this verse when he says in verse 2 that after Christ gave himself up, it was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that little phrase there, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, is Old Testament imagery. When an Old Testament saint would approach the temple with his ox or whatever animal it was he was going to sacrifice, and in his behalf that animal died for his or her sins. Now, God accepted that sacrifice not just because something died in his place, but God saw the heart. God saw the heart of that saint. The saint did not just go through the motions of uh, of having the animal sacrificed for his sin. The saint did it out of repentance. 
And so when we show acts of love, whether it's to our, our, our children and changing diapers or our spouses or our friends, we do it with pure motives. And when we do, God sees that as a pleasing sacrifice. It pleases God our Father. And so Paul in these first two verses has laid out for us what love is. It has a cost to ourselves. And we see that that pleases God. And we see that Christ is our example. Now, in the next few verses, Paul is going to switch gears and he's going to give us a negative picture of false love. False love. And this is the predominant love we see in the world today. So begin with me in verse 3. But among you there must not even a hint of sexual immorality. Excuse me, must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So stop with me there. So as I said, these are examples of false love. If true love has a cost to yourself and it benefits the other without you expecting anything in return, these are all examples of you gaining something through using another person. Sexual, sexual immorality is a very blatant example of this. Sex outside of marriage is a person extracting something from another person in order to benefit for themselves. This is a false kind of love. So sexual immorality and impurity and greed, these are examples of conduct that are unloving. And greed is another obvious example of something that's unloving. You're constantly hoarding to yourself at the cost of other people. Instead of giving what you have to serve the needs of other people, you are just building up your own bankroll. And in fact, Paul calls that uh, idolatry later. So these are three examples of a false kind of love that Christians are not to partake in. These do not please God. And then next we see three kinds of uh, conversation that are equally unloving. Uh, it says here that uh, obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting. So ob obscenity is unloving because it invites shame into the conversation instead of honor. It invites shame, and shame presses down. It doesn't build up. And then coarse joking. The Lord is not against humor. Okay, I believe God has a sense of humor. But coarse jesting is a type of humor that is sarcastic in nature, and it cuts people. It invites a laugh at the expense of someone else. These are false examples of love that uh, predominate our current world. And we, as children of God, are to... Uh, not partake in these things because these are not uh, ways to imitate who God is. And so, if, as if the motivation for us as Christians to simply imitate God's way of love and please Him is not enough, Paul in verses 5 and 6 begins to put a little more pressure upon us in realizing the importance of imitating God by walking in love. Verse 5 says, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In the context of this letter, it seems Paul is talking about unbelievers because he's saying that those who are characterized by these types of behaviors are not going to receive the inheritance that all Christians will receive when the Lord returns. And that's the fact that we'll get to reign with Him in His kingdom for all eternity. But that doesn't mean that this verse here 
has no application for us as Christians or in general those who are listening to Paul write this. What I mean is when Paul wrote this, he was writing to a church, much like I'm preaching to a church. And in the church, there are people who claim to be Christians. They come to church. They're even members of church. Yet their character, that is who they are on a day-in and day-out basis, is more in line with these three characteristics. They're immoral, they're impure, and they're greedy. And so this is a, a spiritual check for anyone that's listening to really uh, go to the Lord and determine if you've trusted in His Son for salvation. Because if you were to analyze your life and you were to say, my life is primarily characterized by these behavior, by this behavior, then Paul is, is saying that you are not a true child of God. Now, I want to be clear here that this is not saying that Christians cannot sin. We as Christians do sin. We as Christians can fall into any of these sins. But the Lord will discipline us and bring us out of those sins. And we're actually going to look at one of the ways the Lord does that later on. Okay, so in verse 6, we get a little idea of the audience that Paul is writing to, the state of the church at this time. Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So it seems that in the context of when this letter was written, as well as today, there were people who were speaking into the church saying, God is not a judge. God will not judge anyone for immoral behavior. God does not judge sin. He simply accepts everyone in his family. Paul is saying here that that's clearly not true. His wrath is already on those who are characterized by these things, those who have rejected Christ, and that his wrath will continue to be on them. And so Paul is saying, do not be deceived by these words. And that call is still true for us today, as our society tends to go even further in the direction of rejecting this concept of a true holy God, which he is. So this is a big deal, and Paul is speaking into that. So if, if we are to imitate our Heavenly Father as His beloved children by walking in love, how, how do we do that? Well, we exhibit self-sacrifice. Exhibit self-sacrifice. And there are opportunities here within City Church Garland to exhibit self-sacrifice. And in doing so, you will be imitating your Heavenly Father. And in imitating your Heavenly Father, you will be maximizing joy in your life and glory, uh, God's glory in your life as well. So some great opportunities already exist. Uh, we have opportunities with the, the visual team, uh, the audio team, the, the music team, ushers, little lights, teachers, helpers, shine, evangelizing on Halloween night. All of these ways are for you to exhibit self-sacrifice because it, it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. You have to give up your time. You have, to, you have to maybe learn something new, and these are hard. But these are ways for us to imitate our Heavenly Father, who at a cost to Himself gave His own Son. So we've seen here the first way that we as beloved children of God exhibit our, uh, or excuse me, imitate our Heavenly Father. We walk in love, and we do that by exhibiting self-sacrifice. Moving on to our second point, how do we imitate our Heavenly Father as beloved children so as to maximize our joy and His glory in our lives, we walk in light. We walk in light. So we're going to pick up in verse 7 here. And uh, just as Paul in the previous verses contrasted a life of true love with false love, here he's going to contrast a life of light 
in darkness. So look with me in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So there's the imperative right there. Live as children of light. Earlier he told us that we're dearly loved children, so live in love. Now he says you're children of light, and we are to live in that. So verse 7 makes it clear that we're not to be partners with them. What exactly does that mean? To be a partner with them means you are not to be co-participants with those that are engaging in habitual sin. You are not to be co-participants with them. Instead, you are to be light. Now, light and darkness cannot coexist. They are, in fact, in conflict with one another. They are opposites. Uh, Darkness here in this context is uh, the domain of sin that Satan governs and that if you submit to that, then you will carry forth sins. Uh, The domain of light is uh, the domain that God governs in His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you live in that domain, and all Christians are to remain in that domain, you then carry forth in the context acts of love, and now we're looking at acts of, of light, which we'll describe here in just a second. So what exactly is light? Specifically, we know it's this, it's this area that we're to live our lives where Christ is, is Lord over us. But in verse 9, we see that Paul lists out some fruit of light. Verse 9 says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Let's start with goodness. Goodness is this idea of being generous with who you are towards other people. You value that other person, and you're willing to do good things for them. You're showing generosity to them. Righteousness. God himself, his character is righteous. Now, we are to carry out righteous acts, and what that essentially means is right living. Godly lives. We use that term. It's godly living. This is fruit of light. And truth is an aspect of that life. So, we understand what light is. We understand that it's, it's in opposition to darkness, and we are to live in light, and we know what some of those fruit are, rather than, than darkness, because we are children of light. What other purpose does this serve in our identity as beloved children of God? The Lord uses light as a way to sanctify His Son's church. The Lord uses light as a way to build up his church. And we see that here beginning in verse 13, where we're going to see that light, and I'll be more uh, specific with this in just a second, light has a way of transforming Christians, and it has a way of awakening Christians to live in the newness of life that we have sung about earlier. So read with me there in verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Okay, so as I said earlier, Paul is writing this letter to a church. And within this church, it seems that some people have become deceived, And they think that sinful lives are acceptable by God because he will not judge. So they become partakers with them. Paul is now explaining that light serves a purpose 
in helping them realize the folly of their lifestyle and helping them to live a loving, uh, righteous life. And here's how it works. In verse 13, it seems Paul is explaining that we as Christians have a responsibility to be our brother's keeper. And what I mean by that is when we walk in fellowship with each other and we notice that a brother might be living in a sinful lifestyle or a sister might have fallen into a sinful habit, it's our job to shine light, which in this context is truth, speak truth into their life so that the darkness that they are living in becomes visible. And that word is in the text. It becomes visible. And as it becomes visible... It gives that Christian who's living in darkness the opportunity to say, I see that now, and this is ugly. This is destructive. This is not of the Lord. And it gives them that opportunity to repent of that sin. And in doing so, that area in their life that was at one time darkness, it says that it's transformed into light, which we know the fruit of light is is righteousness and goodness and truth. And so this is a transforming aspect that light plays in our walk with the Lord and with each other in community. It's transforming. Let me, let me add a little note on that. We as Christians need to speak truth to one another in love. And so we need to be careful when we do find a brother who has fallen into to sin or a sinful habit. Uh, we need to speak gently. So one way that uh, I have experienced this in my own life is uh, for four years I met every week with a very good friend of mine named Nick Dano. He is a fellow student at Dallas Seminary. We'd meet and we'd have coffee. And this gave us opportunity to share with one another both our struggles and victories in the Lord. And Nick and I had a relationship in such a way where we were comfortable shining light in areas of our lives that might be sinful. And in doing so, it gave us the opportunity to repent of that. And let me tell you, it really strengthened our friendship. And the same is true with this body. The City Church Garland, as we walk with each other and as we shine light into each other's lives, it will have a transforming effect not only on who you are as an individual, but on who we are as a community. So it's this transforming aspect. But it's also, it's, it's more than just uh, transforming. It's, it has a, rest, a restoring aspect. It can restore And we see that in verse 14. Read with me in verse 14. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want you to notice the very first line is, Wake up, sleeper. So remember the context of what we're talking about here. Christians who have veered into darkness. When do we sleep? We sleep at nighttime. When it's night, it's dark. And so this very first line seems to indicate that when Christians choose to live in darkness, they're in a spiritual stupor. They're insensitive to sin and they're insensitive to the Lord. And Paul here compares it to being asleep. Christians are not to be asleep. We are to be awake. And we see that here where uh, the, the verse continues and it says, Rise from the dead. When we shine light into other people's lives, it allows them this opportunity to be restored to living a life awake with their eyes open and their hearts sensitive to the destructive power of sin and to the love of the Lord and how we are to walk in that and to walk in light. And then what's more is it says, Christ will shine on you. 
This, like the phrase above, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, this is the Lord's pleasure with what you have decided to do. The Lord is pleased when we repent. It brings him great pleasure. So we understand that we're to walk in light. And we've, we've looked, at, looked at that a little bit. We've looked at we are to shine light into other people's lives, uh, our brothers and sisters here. But we're also to expose the darkness in ourselves through those, those intimate relationships with others, those accountability partners. So one way that I want us to remember this walking in light aspect is, is I want us to, to remember expose sin. Expose sin in yourself to others and expose sin in other people. And, and we do this with love. Don't forget the, the first part of this sermon. Walk in love. That means we're doing this with the other person's benefit at my, in mind. We're not trying to, to push them down to make ourselves feel better. We're trying to build them up. And exposing sin does have a cost. It's, it's hard to do. We as Americans especially would rather just uh, keep the status quo. We'd rather have everybody be happy with us. So exposing sin is a loving act. It has a cost to yourself. But know that God is with you in it. And the Lord is pleased when those who have uh, seen the ugliness of their sin repent of it. So in the context of our body here at CCI, one way that we can expose sin or be in a community that invites this sort of behavior is to join a CCI group. We currently have three CCI groups. Uh, Keith and Kevin and Mike are leading them. Uh, two of them meet on uh, Wednesday and one meet on, meets on Monday night. One is in Far East Dallas, uh, another's in Richardson, and there's one just down the street. And so it's in this, this context of trust that you're able to expose sin in yourself and you're able to lovingly expose sin in other people's lives as well. So that is our, our second point in terms of how we as beloved children imitate our Heavenly Father. We walk in light. And the way we do that is we expose sin. So moving on to our, our third point here on how we imitate our Heavenly Father as His beloved children. We walk in wisdom. We walk in wisdom. So just as Paul in the first two moves of this passage, he, he contrasted true love and false love. He contrasted light and darkness. Here he's going to contrast wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom and foolishness. And we are charged to walk in wisdom. Read with me beginning in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Okay, just stop with me there. We'll, we'll pick back up. Live as wise. What does it mean to be wise? Live as wise, he commands us. To be wise is essentially to know God's will and to do God's will. And Paul makes that clear in verse 17 where he contrasts uh, wise living with foolish living. Read verse 17 with me. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do you see that word understand? This is more than head knowledge. To understand what the Lord's will is means that you you discern what it is that he wants you to do, and then you do something about it. You act on it. In our relationship with God, any knowledge he gives us is not just to remain in the head. It's to work itself out into our heart, into our hands and feet. And this is true with the wise living as well. 
God wants us to live wise because, as we've been preaching, it brings Him great glory, but it also maximizes our joy. But He makes it clear also that it's more than just bringing God pleasure, that there is an enemy of our soul who wants to thwart our wise living. And we see that in verse 16 where Paul says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Why are we to live wise lives? Well, one, it glorifies God, but two, because the days are evil. What exactly does that mean? Well, we know in the last chapter of this book, chapter 6, that we have an enemy, Satan, who is prowling about and he wants to destroy our walks with the Lord. Nothing brings him greater pleasure than when he is able to persuade a Christian, somehow or some way, to live an unloving life, to live in darkness, and to live a foolish life, to go your own way. So Paul is saying here, be careful how you walk. Make the most of your time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. We have an enemy of our soul who is watching us as we walk. So, if we were to just leave it there, it would be all on us. Okay, okay, I got it. I need to, I need to live a loving life. I need to, uh, I need to um, live in light. And now I need to live a wise life. Okay, I can do that. Well, thankfully, God has made a way for us to do this in His strength, in His power. And we see that in verse 18. Read with me verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit here is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, God's Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Lord. And we see here that our lives are to be lived, filled by Him, rather than drunk with wine. And we're going to look at what it means to be filled with the Spirit And it becomes clear when you contrast it with this do not be drunk with wine. Now, when you are drunk with wine, you are controlled by wine. Your behavior is exhibited based upon the wine controlling you to act a certain way. And it's a lifestyle of foolishness. It's a lifestyle of waste, debauchery. Paul is saying, instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. It's for the Spirit to be Lord of your life. He has rule over who you are in your day-to-day activities. And to be clear, this is not something that is a one-time action. This, This command here, be filled with the Spirit, is something that we as Christians are to do on a daily basis. We are to do this on a daily basis. And and I need to be uh, transparent here. This filling of the Spirit, there's mystery involved. There is mystery involved. Uh, We as Christians, that means we are in the New Covenant. And part of the New Covenant is, language in Jeremiah speaks of, uh, they will not need others to teach them because they will know. This seems to have some hint of that, that the Spirit who indwells Christians, when you trust in Christ, the Spirit takes up residence in you, He's with you. You can't lose him. But you have a choice how you respond to the promptings that he lays on your heart. Will you obey the word of God or will you disobey the word of God? So to be filled with the Spirit, in essence, is to be controlled by him. Now, if that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, then how does one become filled with the Spirit? Because we're commanded to be filled 
with the Spirit. How we become filled with the Spirit, it's this idea of allowing the Spirit of God full reign in your heart. Allowing Him full reign in your heart. So let me illustrate. The other day, I had just laid out um, all my commentaries to, to resume writing this sermon. I had turned my computer on. I had gotten my cup of coffee. I was, I was in sermon writing mode. I was ready to go. All my focus and attention was on that. And as I sit down in my office chair, I hear my wife's voice in the kitchen say, Hey, honey, I need your help. Can you give me a hand real fast? Before I could write one word, before I could read one sentence, my wife needed my help. So in that moment, I had all kinds of feelings and thoughts just flooding through me. I had, I had one very strong side of me uh, want to be unloving, uh, wanted to uh, sin against her, and, and wanted to be foolish. I, I quite frankly wanted to say, Honey, I'm busy. You can do it. You're a big girl. Figure it out. I've, I've got other important things going on here, and time is of the essence. But at the very same time as, as this is going on, the Spirit of God is enlightening me to know the will of God. He's enabling me to desire to do the will of God. And he wants to empower me to carry it out. And so in this moment, I have a choice. I can either yield to the flesh, which is always in rebellion to God. Every Christian has the flesh, and it's always in rebellion to God. I can yield to this, which is unloving, it's darkness, and it's foolishness. Or I can yield to the Holy Spirit who is Lord. And in that moment, I yielded to Him. And I was able to go help my wife with, believe it or not, uh, an element of joy. I was happy to, to please God in doing that. But I don't share this to brag on myself because all of this was God's Spirit. God's Spirit gave me the opportunity. He, he brought it to mind. He, he began working on my desires to want to even do this. And then he empowered me to do it. So this is all God's Spirit. So this is an example of how we are filled with the Spirit. We make this choice. Who are we going to yield to? And as we yield to God's Spirit, He is Lord and He, en- he enlightens, He enables, and He empowers us to walk a wise life. The only way we walk a wise life is walking filled with the Spirit. So... How, how can we remember this in the moment, this uh, being filled with the Spirit? I think a good way to remember this is embrace the Spirit of God as Lord. Embrace the Spirit of God as Lord. This idea of, of embrace, it's, it's, it has a relational element to it. And His will for our lives is good, and we are to embrace Him as He brings to mind and to heart Actions that please the Lord. So embrace the Holy Spirit as Lord. So in in summary here, um, we've seen that this wise life is only a product of the Spirit's work in our lives and our willingness to yield to Him. But I mentioned that when I got up to serve my wife, there was an element of joy. I was happy to do that. We see that here in the remainder of this passage, beginning in verse 19, we see the results of a life filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymn, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So these results of a life filled with the Spirit, it's a worshipful life. It's a worshipful life. And in, in, the, uh, in these verses, we see three primary, primary categories. The first is, it's a life, when I say life of worship, I mean in regards to each other, it's a life of building each other up, edification. Uh, we see that there, how we speak to one another, uh, that we're speaking with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs from the Spirit. These are, these are words that build others up, so edification. We see that it's adoration for the Lord, and we see that there we're in uh, ver- the second part of verse 19, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. So we see that this worshipful lifestyle uh, brought on by the Spirit's filling has adoration to God, and we are thankful to Him. But it's this last part here that uh, I want to highlight because this is what I experienced and uh, I think is true for many of us when we do yield to the Spirit. We don't necessarily break out into song, but it, is, it does bring us joy uh, towards one another and toward, towards the Lord when we do that. And it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is this idea of humility. In that moment, the Spirit uh, enabled me to see my wife as more valuable than myself. And so the, the result of being filled with the Spirit is seeing my wife as more valuable than myself. And that's true with other people, not just your spouse, but your friends. Uh, the results of being filled with the Spirit is, is you take joy in humbling yourself, in, in showing that other image bearer uh, respect and honor and dignity and love. And so these are results, and these are very, very good things. And as I've been preaching on this, I've been wanting to show you that when we imitate God, our Heavenly Father, as His beloved children, it maximizes our joy, and it maximizes His glory in our lives. So in summary of this this sermon here, we as beloved children of God, we imitate our Heavenly Father by walking in love, in light, and in wisdom. Uh, We walk in love by exhibiting self-sacrifice. Exhibiting self-sacrifice. We walk in light by exposing sin. And we walk in wisdom by embracing the Spirit of God as Lord. So in conclusion, we too, like Mowgli, are on this journey with God. God is taking us to a destination where we will ultimately be like His Son. But on that journey... We are walking with the Spirit, and we have a decision to yield to Him or not. And when we do, it enables us to live this life of love, live this life of light, and live this life of wisdom. And in doing so, just like when Mowgli finally got to the man village and he saw the woman, he was realizing, okay, acting out of my identity instead of imitating all these animals, that's the best thing for me. The same is true for us. That when we do... Uh, walk in humility, uh, walk in yieldedness to the Spirit, that it does maximize our joy and it maximizes the glory of the Lord too because that's who we are. We are beloved children of our Heavenly Father. And when we act out of that identity, we are being who God made us to be. And it brings us maximum joy and Him maximum glory. Let's pray. Father, we bow before You as Your children. And we thank you that we are dearly loved by you. Thank you that you have uh, made us to imitate you. 
You have made us to walk in love and light and wisdom. And you have made a way for us to do this uh, through the indwelling Spirit. And I pray for each of us that we would yield to his Lordship, that we would desire your desires, and that we would glorify you. I thank you for your word. I pray that we would walk out the truth that you have taught us here today. We pray your blessing upon each of us as we do desire a life that would glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.